fix my car When I buy gas, don't get me very far My baby needs some milk to drink And mama wants her wine I get a check each week But I don't know what's mine I'm losing track I don't know what to do I got the budgeting blues Welcome to Sensible Chat The podcast committed to helping you learn positive money mindsets Destroy debt, reduce financial stress And break the paycheck to paycheck cycle Today, we're chatting with Jennifer Luzado Author of Inheriting Chaos with Compassion She'll share her story And what she learned about dealing with the financial chaos That often comes with the loss of a loved one after class, Sensible Bobby discusses how to make it easier for the person who inherits your financial chaos. So now, let's get to the competent custodian of cash, the darling of dollars, the maven of money. Here is Sensible Bobby. Thanks, Scott, and thank you for joining me. Before we get to our guest, I want to give a huge thank you to Jonathan Texera from Salt Pinch Creative for the new Sensible Chat website. His creativity and technical knowledge is much appreciated, and we hope you like the new look. If you're looking for someone to create a beautiful and highly functional website for you, check out the show notes for this episode at SensibleChat.com, and you'll find a link to his website. Now, this is a very strange time in our world. We're starting to get back to normal after being quarantined for the last couple of months. But unfortunately, this pandemic has taken a lot more than normalcy for a lot of people. In addition to so many who've lost their jobs and their livelihood, many people have also lost their lives. And it's left a lot of families trying to pick up the pieces during what was already a tremendously difficult time. The loss of a loved one is hard enough. You need time to mourn the loss. You need family and friends to lean on, share your grief with, and help celebrate the life of the person you lost. Oh, and someone's got to handle everything that person left behind, including their finances. So where do you start, and how can you handle this task without pulling your hair out, breaking your own bank account, and honoring the wishes of the one you lost? My guest literally wrote the book on this subject after experiencing it firsthand. Okay, class. Sensible University is now in session. Today's guest professor is Jennifer Luzado, president of Summit Financial Partners. She's a certified financial analyst, certified financial planner, and author of Inheriting Chaos with Compassion, a book inspired by her personal experience along with three decades in the financial industry. Jennifer, thanks so much for being our guest professor today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. The introduction of your book, Inheriting Chaos with Compassion, tells your backstory. Can you share a little bit of your story with us? Yeah. Within the last few years, about four and a half years, my husband lost a battle to leukemia. And so he died when my daughter was nine. And about a year and a half later, my sister also died very suddenly. Hers was unexpected. And um, my husband's with too, to some degree. And as a financial professional, I realized that I was overwhelmed by some of just the business that had to be taken care of. And I couldn't imagine how much other people would have been as well if they didn't have the knowledge and the experience in various aspects of going through the aftermath. And so... When you couple that with grief, it's a tough road to hoe, as they say. And so I learned a lot through both of those experiences. And they were very different lessons because of my level of understanding of the situation I inherited, so to speak, was very different. 
So yes, I have very firsthand knowledge on picking up those pieces after someone dies. Yeah, that's such a tough thing to go through. And I mean, dealing with both of those in such a short period of time, I'm so sorry for Mm -hmm. that. But as a a financial planner, I mean, you just said it, you know, even with all of the knowledge that you had, you felt panicked by Mm -hmm. certain financial tasks that needed to be done in these situations. Can you explain why that was, even though you had that knowledge? In a lot of ways, the aftermath of my husband's death was easier from that perspective because I already knew where all the pieces were. I already knew where we stood financially. But in my sister's case, I didn't know anything. And so I ended up being the detective to try to find what she had, what her assets were, where they were. And it just was overwhelming to try to find it all because her husband concurrently, which is this part's not in the book, but he had dementia and we didn't know how bad it was. So when she died, I simultaneously became her executor and his power of attorney. Wow. And so it was just, yeah, it was pretty overwhelming. So sometimes just the knowledge isn't enough to help completely. Sure. So how did you deal with that? I mean, if you don't know someone's financial situation, because, you know, I mean, she was your sister, but you weren't privy to all of her and her husband's financial situation, where their papers are, where they stand with things. How did you go about dealing with all of that? That was really quite a journey. Yeah, the place to start in that case was with the mail and having the mail sent to me. And you have to wait for things to show up pretty much. And then once you also have all the legal paperwork in hand, you can start. Like I knew my brother-in-law had a pension. I knew who to call on that. But there was a lot of things. I had no idea until some sort of statement showed up or a bill showed up I didn't know about. (laughs) Those were always fun. So you sometimes have to just keep watching for the clues to show up in front of you. And it's stressful because you really don't know what you're dealing with for a while as far as how much work there is involved. Yeah, and you talked about in the book how things can slip through the cracks. Little things like even Mm -hmm. forwarding the mail and how important that is because, you know, there may be Mm -hmm. stacks of mail piling up somewhere that you're not privy to as the one who now has to handle all this. What other things do people miss when they're trying to deal with this kind of thing? I think one of the things is if people get all their bills online, that was like I was scared to death because I didn't have her email password, right? I'm like, what if she gets half of her bills online? And they'll find you eventually. Somebody gave a wrong address to one and I got a $5,000 bill that had gone unpaid for five months because it was never sent to me. But they will find you eventually. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But things like that where you just don't have easy access to and they were not very organized, she and her husband, especially as his dementia got worse. And digging through their paperwork and trying to figure out what's important and what isn't and what you can get rid of because we had to clean out their house too. And, and so I think the virtual world is really great. And I pay bills online, but I don't receive bills online for that very reason. I want whoever, and hopefully this won't be anytime soon, but whoever inherits my chaos has a very simple job, relatively speaking, because sure. it can make it really hard on people if you're not organized. Yeah, you never think Mm -hmm. about that. You know, you kind of think, oh, I just I know where it is. And it's my organized chaos, Mm -hmm. if you will. But when someone else has to step in, Mm -hmm. that can be a really tough thing. So how important is it to understand what you can deal with on your own and what you need Mm -hmm. to hire someone else to help with? And what kind of things would those be? 
I think it's important. There are probably three key professionals in that situation. One is an estate planning attorney. And often if you're overwhelmed by, if you have to give an accounting to a commissioner of accounts to settle an estate, often the paraplanner in their office and the estate planning office can help you go through those forms. Also an accountant, because you have to file estate tax returns as well as the deceased final tax returns. And you may not really be able to wrap your arms around it, especially if it's complicated. And hopefully whoever the state it is had those professionals and you could continue to work with them. But my sister's case, we did not. And it was complicated further by the fact they had a small little artsy business and no records. And, you know, it was, it wasn't pretty. And then people like myself who understand the financial documents, because there is a bit of, as every profession, right, there's a language of its own that can be really overwhelming if you're not familiar with them. A lot of times when people pass away beyond the paperwork and everything, there's probate to deal with or inheritance and Mm -hmm. how that works. And you always hear about Mm -hmm. financial professionals that can help with that. But are there financial professionals who can help with people that maybe have a big financial mess to clean up rather than an inheritance to manage like debt or a bankruptcy that was going on or those kind of things? Mm Yes, there are. In that case, you would need to work with either an estate planning attorney or a paraplanner in their office, or there are financial professionals that work on an hourly basis and to hire those people to pay them by the hour to help unwind all of that. Both of those can help. Sometimes a CPA can help too. So it's really the same professions. It just might be different people within those groups as far as what the help is and what they can need. Because sometimes a CPA can unwind many things that a financial planner can do as well from that perspective. And I would assume that in addition to helping just take some of the work off of the person's back who's dealing with all this, like you said, I mean, under major emotional stress during a time like that, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to have to deal with that. But also, you know, most of us wouldn't have the experience, you know, in the financial realm and everything to deal with that. Mm -hmm. But let's put some of the things at ease that people might think that they're going to have to deal with that they may not like. A lot of times... I hear, and I used to think this too, that if my parents pass away and they have debt, it's automatically going mm-hmm. to go to me. But I don't think that's correct, mm-hmm. is it? It is not correct. You're not responsible for their debts. It really dies with them. And yes, I've heard that one quite a few times, as well as people thinking they're going to inherit a tax burden if they inherit, which is generally not true either. So those are the two big ones that I've heard. You really can't pass that responsibility on. Now, the estate will probably pay taxes, but I've heard people say, I just got a distribution from my parents' estate. This is really going to blow up my taxes this year. And I'm like, nah, it's not really. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the credit card and that sort of debt is usually the biggest concern. But no, you're not responsible. Okay, but what may happen, and maybe this is why people think this, because the confusion might come in that, like you were saying, the estate pays for it. So if my parents had a bunch of debt, let's say, and they also owned their home, is that house going to have to be sold then if there's no other money, say, to cover those debts in order to cover those debts that were left behind? Yes, they would pay their debt from the estate. Right. Mm -hmm. So basically what would happen is if you were going to get an inheritance, you're probably not going to get as big of an inheritance as you thought because those debts have to be paid. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it would be that instead of nothing's going to come out of their pocket, they just may not get something that they thought they were going to out of an estate. Let's go back to because you said that your brother-in-law at the time of your sister's death was dealing with dementia. Mm-hmm. And that brings up a good mm-hmm. point because now you have to manage care for who's left behind. So how do you deal with managing care for dependents that might be left behind or people that have medical situations that are going to make them unable to ever care for themselves? Yeah, it's so hard. And if you're lucky, you've got a few people that can manage it with you as far as getting them places and taking care of them. And sometimes you just have to make the call, which isn't popular with the other people involved. And um, with my brother-in-law, I moved him to a assisted living facility and and everybody was on board with that one. We made it happen. He resisted, you know, all that. And then he was getting to the point where his dementia was so bad. He was just doing crazy stuff. And um, I'm like, we're moving him to a care facility. They're like, no, no, he's fine. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> we're not going to do that. So sometimes you have to just draw a line in the sand and say, this is what's going to happen. In that case, we were fortunate there were enough resources to pay for him to go into a facility. If they're not, I mean, you just got to band together and try to take care of it as best you can or put them in a Medicaid facility, which is not a great choice. But sometimes that's what you have to do. I mean, he couldn't have lived with me because I'm never home, you know. (laughs) So it's tough. I mean, people get in some really tough positions sometimes. But that was the best solution for him and for everybody. And we were just fortunate that we could make that. I mean, he wasn't, you know, in a Ritz-Carlton facility, but he was in a nice one. And and he just died in October. So now I'm doing his estate. (laughs) Oh, wow. I never stopped right now. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a rough time period for you. Wow. But I imagine it's made it much easier, unfortunately, for you to help other people that get into these same situations. So, yeah, so that's not unique to me by any stretch of the imagination. We all deal with it different levels and different times. And it's actually been good professionally, if that makes sense, because I have a better understanding of people's situations and what they're facing than I did five years ago. So it's nice when you can share people's learnings a bit. So you were mentioning if someone doesn't have the resources to pick and choose where they want their loved one Mm -hmm. to, to receive care, you go the route of Medicaid. Is there any kind of allowance for that, like for home care, if you had someone that could be in the home and you wanted to keep that person in their home? Does Medicaid pay for someone to care for them in home instead of in a facility? Not to my knowledge, no. Um, fortunately, I haven't had to have firsthand knowledge with that, but I don't, I've never heard of that being true. So in the book, you talk about the chaos and overwhelm that comes with the death of Mm -hmm. a loved one. That's completely a given. But you also state, quote, on the other side of this chaos, there's so much freedom. Can you explain that? Once you start processing the grief, and if you will allow yourself to embrace life again. There's a lot of freedom to build a life. You know, it's not over necessarily. And it doesn't negate the fact that you loved someone. And you can give yourself the freedom to be that. So for example, I have one client whose husband died and he had Parkinson's. He'd been sick for a while. And, you know, she's devastated when he died. But, you know, as time went on, she started to get to embrace some of her loves and passions that she couldn't do when she had a sick spouse. 
So she, you know, started hiking, started joining groups and she still grieved him, but she has the freedom now to embrace some of the things she gave up because of that particular situation. And so if you'll give yourself permission, it gives that freedom to think, okay, things are different. And there's just something I want to add to my life that I didn't or couldn't do before. And in the book, you write that sometimes it's not about imagining what if, but identifying what is. Explain mm-hmm. the difference between those. So what if the great thing, but what is, is looking around and embracing some of the things that you already have that you love. So it could be you've got these great friends that you want to reconnect with that you haven't really seen much in years or that you've got family connections that you couldn't spend as much time with people as you could before or a community, a faith community or any other organization that you already have it but it's not been top of mind or hasn't been, you haven't had the time or the ability, especially if you've been dealing with an illness to connect with them much anymore. So allowing all that back into your life in a deeper level is embracing what is as well as what if. That's super important. Thank you for sharing that. Now, Mm -hmm. people who don't have a lot of money, a lot of times think there Mm -hmm. is no need for a will or an estate plan or anything like that. Is that true? No, no. (laughs) Everyone needs a will. I'm not an attorney, but yes, everyone should have one. Because if you don't, you run the risk of courts deciding what happens to, even if you've got $10,000, but you want your beloved daughter to get it versus your sibling, you know, often things will flow the way you want, but it will just make it so much simpler. If you just say, this is what I want to happen. You don't have to have trust. You know, it doesn't have to be complicated. You just need that legal direction and it gives whoever settles your estate for you, the freedom to make that happen for you much more easily than if not. And as I understand it, that will also save you a lot of money from courts and probate and things like that, right? I mean, it seems like Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. without a lot of money actually need that even more because there's not much to lose. If you're a gazillionaire, you can afford to lose some money to the courts, not that you want to. But, you know, if you don't have much left. So am I correct in that, that probate and taxes and all that stuff? It can be pretty expensive, yes. And you pay court fees for various filings along the way when you're settling it. And and also, you never know how people are going to act. So it might be you don't have a large estate, but people might fight over it. I've definitely seen stories of that where even fortunes have been wasted by, I mean, people I know whose fortunes have been wasted because of lawsuits and stubbornness. And so it just makes everything cleaner and simpler. And yes, ultimately, probably less expensive. <laughs> if, you just, right. if you pay for the will, which seems expensive at the moment, right? Because legal fees always seem like, oh, I don't know. But yes, it definitely is the best thing to do for everyone concerned in the long run to just go ahead and bite the bullet and pay for that. And another thing in your book that I found saddening was the stories about, you know, the beneficiaries that didn't get updated. What happens when you don't update Mm -hmm. your beneficiaries on things like your 401k or, you know, anything else like that? Yeah. So then that becomes very muddy water and that there can be contention over who deserves it. In a lot of states, like where I live, often the spouse is assumed to receive it. 
but it could be you might have children from a first marriage you would have preferred to have received that or you wanted your you know brother Tom to get 10% or something. What happens is your will dictates what happens to all of your assets except for retirement assets. So if you have an IRA, 401ks, 403bs, all of those, if you have not designated exactly who gets exactly how much, then that becomes something that has to be decided really through the courts and through the settlement process because your estate becomes the beneficiary, not those people directly. So it's very, very clean if you name those beneficiaries and get it straight. There's a very famous story. I cannot remember the names anymore, but in New York, a woman who, you know, as a newly minted teacher gave to her retirement plan over the years. And, you know, she married shortly thereafter. And when she was 67, she retired and there was a million dollars in there. But when she started working, she had named her sister as her beneficiary. And she'd had this beautiful, lovely marriage, loved her spouse. Everybody thought the money would go to him, but she never changed the beneficiary. And so her sister was legally the owner of those assets because she never changed it. And um, that one went to court and the husband lost (sighs) because it was very clear who the beneficiary was. And as I understand it, even though in her will, I think wasn't it spelled out in her will that she wanted her husband to get everything, but because the beneficiary of that retirement fund overrode the will, that's Mm -hmm. why her sister Mm -hmm. got it. Is that correct? Yes, the beneficiary. So very important that even though you may have updated your will, if you didn't update that beneficiary, there's still going to be that issue. That's right. The will does not dictate that. retirement plans. These are all things that we (laughs) we need to know. And, you know, it's so important to get this information, you know, no matter how little or how much money you have, because it's really going to make a difference. So and designating a beneficiary is so simple. It's a one page form. You sign it, make sure it gets in the hands of the retirement plan. But so often we procrastinate on things because we're like, you know, this is going to take me hours. I don't want to do this. But it's something that really can be done in five minutes, 10 minutes, maybe. So it's important not to procrastinate on that one. Now let's go back just a little bit. When you're in the midst of trying to step in and take care of someone's estate after they pass away, I mean, you mentioned all this chaos, all this stuff that's different places and you don't know where things are. How did you stay organized? And even if you know all the steps that you need to take, there's a lot of them. So how do you stay organized in what all of those are and what you've already done? Well, how I did it was I grouped the things by institution or theme. So, for example, with my sister, there were several accounts at different banks. So I waited a while until I got more and more statements and I would group it and I would deal with one institution at a time. Because once you've shown them that you have the authority to act on behalf of those accounts, it snowballs and you can work through many at one time. Or I waited to deal with DMV at one time, which was chaotic, but you yeah. know, it was, <laughs> you know, three long afternoons in DMV, but to deal with them. So I didn't jump in immediately, except for taking control of the bank account so I could pay my brother-in-law's bills. So waiting and just gathering. And so I really just had them grouped and, um, and filed together and just decided I would just tackle them one at a time and probably some one, one week at a time or every two weeks. Because, you know, it really is like a part-time job on top of your normal life. And so it can be really time overwhelming as well. 
So it sounds like having a to-do list is mm-hmm. a really good idea、mm-hmm. and something to check off as you go. Yeah, then yep, I have a master checklist. Yeah, and even、mm-hmm. maybe scheduling some time on a daily or weekly basis that's just set aside to deal with this kind of thing. Yes, as best you can. It's a good idea. So now there are tax implications and distribution rules surrounding just about every type of inheritance,、hmm. no matter how big or small it might be. Can you explain in a、right. nutshell why it's important to have a professional help with managing these inheritances, especially if someone doesn't have a lot of money and and might be tempted to cash them out right away? Right. Especially around retirement plans, that's important, and the law has just changed about this a little bit. But if you can distribute the funds at more favorable tax rates, distribute them over time, and depending on who inherits the funds and what their financial situation is, sometimes you're like, "Oh, I'll just cash it out," and they don't really need to to live. <laughs> you know, that's usually a bad decision because then you add all of that income to your tax return that year. So it is important to think about it from a longer-term perspective, and what will give you the greatest benefit over time. And that's where a financial professional who understands all those rules and can look at your big picture in context of your income and your phase of life you're in, and what your other obligations and resources are, can pull that together so you don't lose too much of that or unnecessary amount to taxes. Definitely, and if they don't need the money to live today, then yeah, I mean they don't have to take the tax hit, and it can actually grow for them、mm-hmm. for later on in their retirement, where they might need it a lot more, right? Yes, definitely. I mean, it's a really nice gift to inherit something like that, but you have to be smart with what happens and how you distribute it. So we've talked about all these things that you know people have to deal with after the death of a loved one, and you know just dealing with that in and of itself is so hard that you know we want to make it as easy as possible with all the other stuff that has to be done. So, what can someone do today to make it easier on their loved ones in the event of their death? Well, first and foremost, is to have a will that's written and legal and all signed and sealed. But the other thing to do is, and we all have different degrees of how organized we are, how overwhelmed we get by paperwork. But to have a single place, and if you're super organized, it would be beautiful to have a notebook that shows has copies of your bills, so that your account numbers are available. So if you have to turn off the power of a house somebody's moved out, you know you can easily get to it. All of your investment statements and debts you might have, so your mortgage statement, perhaps it doesn't have to be updated monthly by any means. But if you have that set of clues ready for someone, it would be really a huge gift. And if you're not a notebook kind of person, even just to put them all in a drawer, just one single spot where there's less of that waiting for the mail or digging around your paperwork. It's in one spot where. They can see most of what your financial aspect of your life is would be a gift, a huge gift. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, that would make things、mm-hmm. way easier, even if it's all on、mm-hmm. your spouse. You know, because a lot of times we have two people. One person is managing all the money, and the other one kind of just、yes. says, "Okay, I'm going to let them do it," and that's fine if it's working for them. But yeah, after you know, if somebody passes away suddenly, then that can leave a big financial chaotic mess. 
It can. In my experience, yes, there's usually one spouse that is much more involved or partner and in their finances than the other. And some people don't want to know anything. And that's yeah. dangerous for many reasons. One is you might be left with more chaos than you expect. It makes it harder when you're already dealing with grief to then try to figure that out, something you have no interest in. But, you know, you have to do it. Otherwise, the bills aren't going to get paid. And I have a friend whose father died when she was a teenager and her mother had never wanted to know the finances. And when he died, suddenly her mom found out she was just saddled with overwhelming debt that she had co-signed on, you know, so she was legally responsible for it. And um, it was just bad, you know, so I understand it's like me and technology. I'm not all that interested in it, (laughs) (laughs) but I do what I have to, right? Sort of thing. But, you know, force yourself if you have to, to at least have knowledge and updates on what your financial situation is. If you are letting someone else take care of it all, it's just going to make things better in the long run if you do. Jennifer, thank you so much for all of your time and great information today. Your book, Inheriting Chaos with Compassion, certainly provides a lot of great information and you share so much of your own story in it. And I think that's really important for people to understand that there are people out there that have dealt with what they're going through and can certainly help them through the process. How can people mm-hmm. get a hold of you if they want to work with you through this process or or any other financial planning process? Right. So they can email me at Jennifer at Summit RVA for Richmond, Virginia. I'm in Virginia. My website is Summit Financial Partners RVA.com. If I can help them, I would love to be that resource. And we're going to put those links on the episode page so you can contact her there through sensiblechat.com. Jennifer, thank you so much again for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking to you. A great big sensible thank you to our guest professor, Jennifer Luzado, president of Summit Financial Partners and author of Inheriting Chaos with Compassion. Check out her website and find more info about the book at summitfinancialpartnersrva.com. Jennifer has persevered through a lot of loss and a lot of chaos. Hopefully, her story and what she learned from it will make things easier if you find yourself in the position of inheriting chaos. She's got some very helpful checklists on her website. The first is the initial checklist after a loved one dies. This outlines the important first steps that need to be taken, steps that can often get overlooked when you're under a lot of emotional stress. Things like notifying the credit reporting agencies so no one can steal their identity, finding their social security number, which will make it much easier to deal with everything else, arranging care for their dependents and pets, and a lot more. The other is the Getting Financially Organized Checklist. This is going to help you assure you consider all the statements and documents you need to collect, including bank accounts, credit cards, insurance information, property deeds, and computer passwords. Go get these checklists right now. They're going to come in handy when you're trying to think through everything that needs to be done. You can find links to these checklists in the show notes page for this episode at sensiblechat.com. Jennifer and I talked a little bit about managed care if resources are scarce. This would be for a person left behind that can't care for themselves. If the person who passed away had no life insurance, no retirement, and few assets to sell, this is going to be tough. Like she mentioned, Medicaid is an option, but that means you're stuck to what they'll cover. 
and that might not be what you want. So what can you do? Get the family together and brainstorm about your resources. You might be able to come up with another option if everyone can pitch in. Can the family pull enough money to pay for care? Can someone or multiple members of the family provide adequate care or space in their home? This might seem insurmountable, but have the conversation because you never know what might come out of it. Brainstorming sessions have a way of introducing ideas and resources you never would have thought about. Now, what if money is a constant struggle for you and you end up with an inheritance? It's going to be really tempting to cash that money out and spend it fast. The idea of spending it on things you may never have been able to afford or just blowing through it because eh, it's really not that much, but it's enough to give you some short-term pleasure may be really appealing. But stop and think about this. First of all, depending on how much it is, you can end up with a tax bill you weren't prepared for. Plus, this is money you weren't counting on and can probably live without today. But what about later? If you don't have much of a retirement fund, this could be a great way to beef it up. Even if it's not much, every little bit helps, and retirement funds tend to grow over time. So it might be best to put it away and watch it grow. Of course, if you have debt, this might be a great way to reduce or eliminate it, but be careful. If you're not ready to commit to being debt-free, debt will find you again, and you'll be out all the money you spent trying to get that monkey off your back. Remember, the first step to slaying your debt is to stop adding new debt. So think this through carefully, and I would highly encourage you to speak with a financial advisor who can take you through all the options and help you find the best one based on your financial situation. Financial chaos makes life rough, and inheriting someone else's financial chaos just adds to the pile. What will your benefactor inherit from you? That's something you can control starting right now. Do you have life insurance so that a dependent or spouse will be financially taken care of when you're gone? Or better yet, even enough life insurance that no one will have to stress about how to pay for your burial and funeral. It's pretty expensive. And please, don't tell yourself life insurance is too expensive, especially if you haven't priced it out. There are affordable options out there. And when you think it through, you really can't afford not to do this, especially if anyone is depending on your income. Some other things to think about. Do you have a list of accounts and passwords in a designated space where your benefactor could easily access them to pay bills or shut off utilities? Do you have a will that clearly spells out what happens to your assets, not to mention your children? Have you updated your beneficiary forms? Have you discussed all this with the person most likely to inherit your financial chaos? Of course, these aren't things we like to think about, and nobody's quick to have these discussions, but they are vital, and you never know when it's going to be too late to do anything about it. This is one of the greatest gifts you can give your loved ones, and I highly encourage you to start this process today. Financial chaos often comes from lack of planning. You put it off because you've got other things to do, or it stresses you out, so you don't want to take the time and energy to think about it. But if you think it's stressful now, think about what happens when your opportunity for planning runs out, when you're right in the thick of it and can only react to the chaos that's already happening. I'll bet you anything that the time, energy, and money you spent planning for the unforeseen, but really unavoidable, 
will be way less than what you'll spend trying to battle the chaos once it starts. There are professionals available to help you through all these planning steps. For my part, I'm here to help you put a budget in place that will help direct your money where you want and need it to go, which is a big step in planning ahead. Remember, budgeting is not hard; it's just math. Changing your mindset is what trips most people up. But if you can imagine the life you want to live and the legacy you want to leave, you might find it a bit easier to change that mindset. So until next time, remember: do the math, live the life. That does it for this episode of Sensible Chat with your host, Sensible Bobby. Links for all the resources mentioned can be found in the show notes for this episode at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. While you're there, find your favorite app to be sure and never miss a show. On social media, look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you need help with your budget or want to share your thoughts, reach out to Sensible Bobby through the contact page at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. Thank you.